As you watch the screen, your heart begins to beat faster. There's a fluttering in the pit of your stomach. Your throat is dry. Your palms damp. Suddenly a chill runs down your spine. You clutch the person next to you. You tell yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. But sooner or later, it's time to go Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Nick. And we're here to talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The first one, because we'll be saying that a lot. <laughs> Starring Marilyn Burns, Alan Danzinger, Paul A. Parton, William Vale, Terry McKinn, Edwin Neal, Jim Sidow, and Gunnar Hansen. Directed by Toby Hooper, of course, written by Toby Hooper, released in 1974, and, you know, minimal budget, and up until when Halloween was made in 1978, most in- profitable independent film ever made, and, you know, considered a horror classic, and it's lasted the test of time, clearly, because they're still making sequels in 2022 up to this point. Yeah, it certainly has. I mean, it seems like every, what, three to four years, we get another Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot or redo or prequel. prequel or something like that. And now we're getting straight to streaming ones or whatever. So, yeah, yeah it's it's kind of like Halloween's poor cousin, it seems like, at this point, where it's like, or Redheaded Stepchild or Sisters mm-hmm. of the Poor, whatever you want to phrase it, where it's, uh, yeah, Halloween comes out with a new sting and then they follow. I don't know. This is I'm having shades and memories of when we did the Hellraiser series and when that veered into the video on demand or you know, home rental uh, territory and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, this one's one that we we talked about for years and just had never done. And then, like I said, they they made the new one for Netflix and we're like, eh, decided to do it. That may be a decision we regret ultimately. It could be, it could be. But I think also it was kind of a backup series in that, like I said, there, there's a new one every four years, so we could always just tie it into the new release. I'm sure there's going to right. be a redo or reboot or remake for Netflix or Hulu or Peacock and you know, probably 2026 unless <laughs> we're all dead by then. I, I mean, they, they could be, right? Yeah, you never you never know the way things are going. But no, it's, um, it's one of those, uh, I think... Horror fans always sort of refer to it in the pantheon of like, oh, the, the original things you got to see. You know, you got to see this. You got to see the original Black Christmas. Um, you got to see Halloween. You got to see, you know, the, the firsts of everything, right? Friday the 13th, Nightmare on the Street, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one's, you know, it came out before the craze really started for the slasher series. And because all of that really hit high gear when Halloween came around. And this movie was before that, but. It, I mean, it launched the careers of uh, Toby Hooper and Kim Hinkle and some of the other people involved in it. And you know, Toby Hooper had a very illustrious career, and, and to his credit, never backed away from this is where you know it kind of all started for him. Uh, even though he had worked in film for a number of years. Yeah, yeah but to, to be fair, though, is could he do more? That's the thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's that there's that great debate of how much he directed Poltergeist and how much. Uh, I mean, there's knowing where Spielberg you came from, it. and then there's being able to you know not be able to you know you always say like oh you can take someone out of the trailer park, but you can't take the trailer park out. of I don't know if he could ever afford to leave the trailer park. <laughs> well, he was he was a Texas guy, and so a lot of his stuff was set in and around Texas, and so he kind of stayed true to those roots for sure. 
Um, and when he was at the University of Texas and working and, and things like that. But it, this is one of those um, that he says he came up with the idea for it. And I find this hilarious because this reminds me of like your kind of shopping trips. He was standing in a long Christmas line at a <laughs> hardware store or something. And he thought, oh, that'll make me take a chainsaw. Yeah, he said, well, the only way he thought he could clear the room was to get a chainsaw after everyone. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, and then from there, you know, he, he had read about Ed Gein and, you know, a lot of other people. And he just drew from a lot of stuff. And he wrote a, what is really just a, a a crazy farce uh, about a lot of things. And then, you know, it spawned a big series because studios got involved. And we'll talk about those when we get into the sequels. But this first one, I mean, you know, they made it for less than $150,000. I believe it. it. Yeah. And, and I mean, it made $31 million, which in 1974 dollars, you're talking about today, that's $100 million. I mean, that's... That's that's a lot of money today. It's like paranormal activity kind of money. That's, yeah. You know, so you, you put absolutely nothing into it. You do the score yourself in your own kitchen with pots and pans, pretty much. And... You know the thing. The thing about this movie, and we'll get into it a bit. But Daniel Pearl, who was the the uh, cinematographer on it, and Toby Hooper, he they definitely had a vision for what they wanted to do here. And it, it is something that I think got copied for a number of years, and probably got done better uh, down the line too. If you just want to get down to it, but it did start here with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So when's the first time you saw this movie? I saw it in the. Pre-wake, I guess you could call it the remake that was mm-hmm. coming out, the uh, Platinum Dunes one with uh, Jessica Biel in the uh, low-rise uh, jeans uh, <laughs> remake version. Um, yeah. I remember that was coming out that Friday, and me and a friend we went to the uh, local video store. Remember they used to have those, yeah. And we rented this one like the weekend before, and we just watched it. Really had no idea what to expect, you know, when when we rented it, and just figured, you know, we. If we're going to see the remake, we should probably see the original. But that was the last time I saw it until about uh, one week ago. So I'm kind of, uh, I remember kind of the bits and pieces and the overall thread. I mean, I've seen the remake a lot more than this one just because it's on TV all the time. But um, yeah, it was just one of the movies where I felt like I probably should rewatch even though I didn't really have to. Because I still, like I said, I remember all the beats and everything. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad I did revisit it. Yeah, and I didn't see this one until much later in life, too. I became, I think, more aware of it when I saw Summer School, the Mark Harmon uh, sort of rom-com, where there's two characters who are obsessed with the movie, and they, like, there's several scenes of it, you know, spliced throughout. It's one of the, it's a really weird comedy uh, from the 80s. I do recommend it. It's a fun one, Uh, but... uh, Chainsaw and Dave are big Texas Chainsaw fans, and they're horror fans in general, but they're kind of... If Tom Savini was in high school in the 80s, that's what these guys would be. And so that's 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 their whole story. But anyway, so I had heard about Texas Chainsaw Massacre at that point. Um, at that point, I had seen Halloween and, you know, Friday the 13th, stuff like that. But I, I didn't really, you know, have a desire to see this until much later. And I think in high school, I just ended up renting it or something one weekend. and Or I saw it on TV or something. It came on and uh, ended up watching it. And I watched it again right around the time that those remakes were happening because I did a marathon where I just watched all of them that existed up to that point. And, uh, yeah, so I, but I've only ever seen it a couple of times. So I, but I feel like the same as you, like you, I know it because it's, it's not a very complicated story. It's, it's pretty simple. And mm-hmm. I think also because of the way this series is done, I've seen 
the, I haven't seen the Leatherface, uh, not part three, but I haven't seen the Leatherface, you know, new prequel or whatever. I, I missed that one. And um, I, I saw Texas Chainsaw 3D in theaters because it looked like it would be a lot of fun. And it was, you know, right, you know, it was coming off of this one. So I think I rewatched it before that and it, it didn't really help. So just to spoil <laughs> that. But, but again, you know, I felt like I, I you know, knew this movie because it, the best thing about these movies, particularly the, the origin story movies, is that the best part about them is in their simplicity. I think Hellraiser is probably the one that has the most complicated plot of any of them. But like Halloween, Nightmare on the Street, Friday the 13th, this one, they're pretty simple in, in their premise. And this one lays out pretty easy, too. It's it's definitely something that could only take place in the 1970s because the just the entire setup, the way that these people are in a van together and they're, they're taking a road trip, basically, with, you know, it's two siblings. Uh, going to check on their grandfather's grave that they've heard might have been disturbed and some of their friends just come along for the ride and you know they pitch a, pick up a hitchhiker and then everything goes to hell and like it, you know the only things that would happen then like nowadays nobody stops for anybody on the, on the interstate and so it, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting to think about but having driven through a good bit of texas in my life at different times interesting to me to go to like the idea of like rural horror you know, because I think that's a trope that horror has gone back to for years and years and years. I feel like all of that really owes a debt to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, totally. I think horror movies themselves, I think when you look at a lot of the classics and everything, it's like tend to be rural areas where people aren't in populated you know, situations and everything like that. It leads itself to horror because you don't have the police, you don't have you know paramedics that can come get you. It's just basically you, the elements, and whatever is chasing you. I mean, look at Hills Have Eyes, even mm-hmm. Friday the 13th at a camp. You know, yeah. It's out in the middle of nowhere. So you look at like a lot of the stuff, and it's all kind of the basis of it. I mean, I guess probably the one that contradicts that would probably be like Nightmare on Elm Street, but then again, they're in the dream, so therefore, yeah. same element, you're not able to get help. So. But they're all in a town together. You know, they're, it's, mm-hmm. it's really built around the kids living on a street. You know, Yeah, or even uh, Halloween, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, all the adults are amazingly absent during that movie. So. Absent because there's no budget for them, just like there wasn't in this movie. <laughs> I think it was the 70s and they're having some swinger Halloween parties. Yeah, they, so. you, know, you are not alone in that theory. I've seen that purported for many years now. and may, Maybe so. I'm taking credit for it. Though. So, well, yeah, well, then they all grew up to become an angry mob many years later because evil dies tonight. But anyway. We're all so pissed off in 2022. <laughs> I mean, that's that that's the complete premise for that movie. But and people can go listen to Brian and I talk about that in the archives. But yeah, I, it's not the traditional plot summary we usually do here on Filmstrip because there really isn't a lot you need to know. It, it is two siblings who are going to check on their grandfather's grave. One of them, Sally, is the... the Nightmare on Elm or not, um, Night of Living Dead. That was kind of the plot. Yeah, pretty that. much. It's very similar. Yeah, very very similar. I think Toby Hooper even copped to that years later. So you got Sally, the sister. You got Franklin, the brother, who's in a wheelchair. So that was an interesting trope to have at the time. And then their three friends who decided to just go along with them for the ride. Because why not? That's what you did. I mean, it wasn't like you had the internet. There was nothing else to do. So you just did this thing. Hopped in a van and yeah. smoked some weed and well, I mean, what you're going to do. Yeah, I think Kirk, the, the the guy driving the van, it's his van. So like it's that's that explains that. So you've got those things, and then they, along the way they pick up a, a hitchhiker. They do see some you know crazy stuff at the at the cemetery. They pick up this hitchhiker who just goes insane on them in the in the van he starts cutting himself he starts cutting on franklin they throw him out but he marks the van so when they roll up at this gas station that because they're out of gas in the middle of nowhere texas and the guy tells them a lie like oh i don't have any gas you got to wait but you can have some of my famous barbecue which we will learn later is people that they turn into barbecue this is a family of cannibals Mm -hmm. and they 
basically get picked off one by one until it's just Sally left. Uh, Sally and Franklin are, are you know, running in the dark when he gets killed. And then Sally is sat down for probably the fam- most famous part of this movie is the dinner scene, which goes on for a very long time. We'll talk about it when we get into mm-hmm. it. And then she escapes, and uh, but the chainsaw-wielding maniac who will become known as Leatherface survives and is you know left on the highway alone and so we're sort of left with her maniacally laughing as she's driven off and i I think the best thing to do is just talk about the the way the characters work here and what works and what doesn't and i'll say the thing about them that i'll give them credit for is i completely believe that these people would all be friends and that Sally and Franklin were related. They had a very lived-in feel to me. Like, there was something very realistic about the way that they all played. Yeah, I mean, I, it's believable. Like I said, from everything I've seen or read about, like, the 70s and everything, it seems like this is kind of the, the hippie lifestyle. You know, you mm-hmm. get into a van, you're going to go to a concert, you're going to go traverse, you're going to go down to Tijuana, whatever yeah. it's going to be. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's believable with it. But one thing I got to bring up right away is Franklin is freaking annoying. <laughs> that guy is, they needed to hone whatever that actor was trying to bring forth uh, back mm-hmm. because he just came off. I mean, it was, I mean, I'm just going to be honest, a big guy in a wheelchair who acted like a two-year-old. Mm-hmm. That was his entire thing. It was just like him crying and whining and sticking out his tongue. I mean, I expect, you know my nieces who are of grade school age to act more mature than he did during this movie but man was he annoying so when later in the movie he got it i was uh, very very happy with that so her audiences have often talked about franklin being like the most like rude against character and that that is way ahead of its time because it took jason and freddie years to get to where like you started rooting for them to take out the annoying characters you know mm-hmm. Halloween never really leaned into that uh, except for like Resurrection which doesn't count uh, the babysitter <laughs> that had uh, Daniel Harrison part 5 was pretty annoying too okay yeah you know what yeah you're right uh, Tina Tina's uh, Tina, Tina was terrible Tina was on speed you're right um, so yeah but you know you wanted her to protect little cute Daniel Harris uh, but Otherwise, yeah, you're right. And and they're all archetypes. You've got Kurt, the van driving guy, who's definitely like, I don't know, it looks like he's one of the roadies for John Denver or something like mm-hmm. that. And then you've got Jerry, their other friend, who's hanging out. And then you've got Pam, who's like reading astrology books. And I don't know, like, I couldn't find anything on it, but I have no idea why Toby Hooper decided to try to weave all this astrology in the middle of this. Because that is so counter to what you think of when you think of rural Texas. I think, Yeah, of like, but I'm thinking hippies, smoking well, weed, what's your sign, stuff like that. I guess. I mean, maybe, maybe they're rejecting the kind of Southern Baptist roots that I would sort of associate with that kind of place. I think he's trying to make some type of commentary throughout the entire movie with something. I don't know if it's about, like, Texans or the meat industry or whatever people trying to hold on to the past you know i guess you could say that with the family or something like that yeah. but i think he's he's trying to say something i i really don't know what it is though yeah but the the point is though that the archetypes of the five kids i guess we'll call them at this point they work though because you you buy their relationships with each other and they set it up really well like you know like most 70s movies there's a little bit of a slow burn to this mm-hmm. uh, to start with and but it opens up with just these th- those flash bulbs and that little wine sound that is sort of known for this you know, part of the soundtrack, if there is a soundtrack to this. And just that the horrific nature that you see those corpses displayed in and everything, like that is, it sets a mood that, mm-hmm. and that's the one thing about this movie too that I, I, I like to remember is that the majority of it takes place in the day. There's only like one real big kill at night. Most of it's in the daylight. Yeah. And and that's that's a different thing because 
the, you know, the trope of horror movies is that you skulk around in the dark, right? But this one's shot in the bright daylight. Yeah, totally. And going back to kind of what you're saying too about the beginning with the whole like you know narration and stuff. We also got uh, it's the guy from Night Court, right? Yeah, John yeah. Larroquette yeah. does that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. so that was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something too. Like a lot of movies, kind of. I'm sure this borrowed it from other movies. You know, probably silent movies. You got the narration, or you got the title card coming up. You know, Star Wars probably <laughs> took a little bit from it, but. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed that whole aesthetic from the beginning. It kind of made it feel like more like this has really happened and we're just kind of retelling it and everything, even though, like you said before, this was all kind of based on Ed Gein, but I don't think Wisconsin Chainsaw Massacre would have been as no, catchy. No, I, don't, I, well, I, think, I think it's the Ed Gein parts are the part where he like you know built furniture out of bones and things like that. We'll see that yeah. later in, in the house. In the it was Wisconsin Chain, it was the Wisconsin <laughs> Cheese Massacre. There we go. Well, there's a lot of head cheese talk in this. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I don't even know what that, I, I thought it was something else, and I'm not going to get into it, but um, yeah, that was disgusting when he was talking about what that actually well, is. But I think that's the point, is like, and I think you're onto something, is Toby Hooper is sort of pulling back the curtain on these things that are just part of our lives but you don't want to know where it comes from it's like you know if I could take you out for a gourmet steak but if I make you go through the plant that it came from beforehand you may not want it anymore you know <laughs> and so I, clearly Toby Hooper read Upton Sinclair's <laughs> Jungle and got affected by it um, or or he is again making commentary but it's hard to know with Toby Hooper because on one hand, like you feel like, oh, there's this guy making you know this commentary. On the other hand, you're like, this is a guy who just smokes a lot of weed and likes to shoot really weird stuff. Like he was all into the aesthetic in this movie, and that that's what sets the mood from the beginning. Again, you get that weird display in the in the graveyard, and I don't think that's their grandfather that's gotten unearthed there or whatever. But it's like there's two corpses kind of intertwined with each other and there's this grotesqueness and all this stuff and I, I'll give the credit for again for a movie that had no budget at all mm-hmm. they just took a lot of slaughtered animal meat and shoved it on some some plastic skeletons from the local high school or whatever and made it look pretty good yeah I mean got, back down, got down to the basics with that which I think honestly probably works better than sitting there doing molds and using uh, fructose and you know <laughs> red dye number two or whatever it is so yeah no I mean definitely kind of sets off that aesthetic and stuff like that and I, I mean, even going further to your point you brought up before, too, is uh, I like the daytime stuff. I mm-hmm. mean, so much of stuff like you watch, like, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, it's all dark. It's all gloomy. A lot of times they do that to kind of hide the special effects or whatever. And to kind of everybody's scared of the dark more than the day. So I think it's kind of cool that you have it during the day. But I think the whole motif of that dusty kind of amberish color palette they're going for just makes it feel dirty and grimy. Like, it feels like if you'd be out there, you got to take a shower right away. Like, you're going to be... Kind of like you know, kind of like when you go to the beach, you got sand everywhere. Mm-hmm. It just feels like there's sand or dust, you know, in the air and stuff. Yep. So it kind of gives it that dirty aesthetic, which really kind of fits with the family when we get to them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and they, there is this town that you, you can tell progress has moved beyond, and like you say, they're just sort of hanging on. You they're know. a relic of the past. Yeah, the meat plant's know. gone, and you know all this other stuff. And so they're they're just it's the one gas station in town, and it's got the best barbecue. Yeah. Oh, Have you seen meat prices today? We need them back. <laughs> right? You know, you think you think yeah. You look at some of the prices in this movie. It's like oh wow, that was a long time ago. But but it's it's neat the way that they set them up, and then we we meet the hitchhiker though, and I gotta say, Edward Neal was an interesting choice when they put him in this. And, and they... Are we supposed to, are we supposed to know who this guy is? He, we, we, I don't know, but he's, he worked for years after this. And he ended up doing like a lot more production stuff and things like that. But he, he talks about that you know, he got in this, this movie and he thought, well, nothing can be worse than when I was in Vietnam. 
He said, until I had to do some of these scenes around like the dinner table and all that rotted meat and all that stuff, he said, nope, it was twice as bad. He said, so that should tell you how bad it really was. I can imagine the smell. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think there's many showers out there. And I've been to Texas before. Like you said, it's Mm -hmm. a hot place. It's very sweaty. It's very hot. I don't, you know, it's very Mm -hmm. much a dry heat, but I didn't see many shadows there. It's the hot, to get rid of, you know, that effect. So I can imagine it being, uh, especially with the meat being out. um, If you've ever been around rancid meat, uh, it's not a smell you really want to be around. No, it is not a good place. But it's it's death. He he makes a a definite impression because he's kind of tweaking, you know, the whole time and he's just, you don't know what's going on. And again, you have to put yourself in a mindset of like, this was a time when people just trusted people, you know, it's like, he was into the eighties coke before the eighties, man. I I think there was a lot more going on with this dude, but yeah, but I mean, clearly he, he was psychotic. That's Mm. what it is. And when he starts taking pictures and, you know, five bucks and they're like, no. And then him and Franklin are trading knives and stuff. That's when you know it's about to go bad. And he pulls out that straight razor and he just starts cutting his palm and he cuts Franklin and everybody's screaming in the van and stuff. And I don't know if you've ever been like in one of those metal vans like that. Like that kind of noise just becomes cacophony real quick. I can happily say I have not been. (laughs) Yeah, sadly I have. And, And it it can just, it's unnerving. And, and again, I, I say all of that to say, you know, they, they toss him out of there real quick off the road. And I had never really paid attention to it until maybe the second or third time I watched the movie that he purposely puts those marks on the van. I thought for a long time he was just kicking it, you yeah. know, just being pissed. But he is specifically marking that so that when they roll up at that gas station, it tells Drayton that, hey, these are, these are our next marks. This is our next set of meat right here. No, it's, uh, I didn't catch on to that. So, yeah, he's marking their prey, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah, interesting. Uh, but, yeah, I didn't catch that. But, yeah, I mean, his character, I mean, he was crazy. I mean, never pick up a hitchhiker, people. Just don't. It's, it, <laughs> never never goes well. Don't. It, it, it's never going to be like an adult film. It's always going to be more like this. It's so. going to be more like what Rutger Hauer is in The Hitcher. I, that's, yeah. That was sort of my point of reference for Hitchhikers. And when I saw this movie, and I was like, oh, this is going to end badly for everyone. Yeah. So, even, uh, you're not even going to find someone like Pee Wee Herman. You'll find, you'll find someone more like Large Marge. But that's, you know. True. Very, yeah. but that, that movie may have frightened me more than anything I saw the kid, as a kid. And I saw a lot of horror movies. But, yeah, anyway, uh, there's a reason we've never reviewed it after all these years. Because I refuse to deal with Large Marge again. But, no, they, they, they deal with the Hitchhiker, and they roll up the gas station because they're obviously out of gas mm-hmm. and that's when you get again the big the big lies like oh well, you know, I don't have any gas or whatever and maybe he does maybe he doesn't I, I say it's a lie because I think it's just the setup because how would they know you know like they're, what are they going to do pick up the pump he could always just shut it off you know because even then you had power to those pumps and so he t- convinces them like oh you can just hang out you know go on, you know explore the area or whatever and that's when they walk up to the house and you they kind of split up a little bit because Franklin's pissed and he's going in so, so many like things like i'm feeling mm-hmm. like you know rob zombie obviously copied this with oh, thousand court i mean yes. that, that's the exact thing yeah but then also like you know kind of bringing some of the house it's kind of reminding me of psycho yeah there's a little bit of that yeah yeah you know the mm-hmm. house in the distance don't want to go to the house what's going on in the house and even that movie too you know kind of you know ed geenish and stuff like that was the inspiration mm-hmm. so a little wisconsin pride there that's where i'm from yeah, yeah no that, that, that's fine but what i what i like <laughs> is that they they get to the old homestead right and Franklin and Kirk and Pam are talking about this local swimming hole. So Kirk and Pam go off to find it and they stumble upon the house. And that's when Kirk, you know, is, is looking through the house and out of nowhere, Leatherface comes and clocks him with that hammer. And I got to say the again, for a cheap movie, the Foley work, that's, uh, that's what I imagine it would sound like if you hit someone with a ball peen hammer in the skull. Like it's yeah, pretty yeah. good. 
Definitely raw sound effects there. Definitely well done. I always think those honestly work the best. Like, you ever seen the movie Heat? It's like, yeah, they, yeah. they did real gunshots, and it's like, it sounds a hell of a lot better than the stuff that they usually uh, put in after the fact. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, but again, I'm just like, why are you guys checking out this house? Like, you're going into the house, you're doing that. I mean, it's Texas. I mean, they're asking, I mean, they're asking for gas. Because, I mean, in, but it's Texas, though. What he did right there is not illegal. Well, so, this yeah. is also true. So, let's talk about Leatherface. Because when we first see him there, Gunnar Hansen's a big guy, or was a big guy, rest in peace, but a big guy. Uh, and I don't mean like big and like overweight, but like he looks like a, a guy that probably played, you know, lime in high school or something and then, you know, worked at a, at a you know, meat packing plant himself or throwing, you know, bags of sand around or something. He's just a big muscular dude, but he's kind of barrel chest. And mm-hmm. but you see, he's got this this mask on that's made out of human skin, and he's the butcher. He's the you know he's the the killer of of them. Even though they'll talk about you know who's the best killer of them, clearly he is because he's the one that does all the dirty work because he's clearly the muscle mm-hmm. of the group. And I'll give I'll give the 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 Jerry character something that I think was neat, and I only picked up on it this time. But when he hits him with that hammer, his legs twitching on the ground. That's cool you know, yeah, I was like, you know what, Alan Danzinger, that's pretty. Legit. That was slick. I don't know where you were told to do that, or you just figured that out on your own. But that was really good. I'd imagine though they probably did a little bit of research, or maybe he actually worked like in something like a meat packing plant or something, yeah. and saw the effects when you do that to a cow or whatever, and that they <laughs> they twitch. I mean, we all know that chicken you cut its head off and it's going to run around for a little bit or whatever. Yep. <laughs> it's going to twitch, so it definitely is a good thing. Because you also think like he's maybe he's not even dead. Like he might be brain dead but maybe his body's still alive i mm-hmm. mean you, you can go down that road and stuff so yeah. definitely definitely cool to actually see that of course pam not far behind she comes on in and leatherface starts chasing her it's a great chase scene and he just grabs her and i, I will give both of them credit for this the way that a lot of times the way these movies go or way a movie goes is when the the evil thing grabs the person they just go limp or whatever she puts up a hell of a fight like, she's kicking and screaming. Terry McCann is, is not going to live with that. And Gunnar Hansen and her, like, really had, like, a... He told her, like, I want you to fight me the whole mm-hmm. way. But, of course, she had no chance. And when he hangs her on that hook, and I know it's a, a, a smash cut because they can't really do it, mm-hmm. but you, you feel it happen. And I'm like, what a... And the way she reacts to it, like, oh, just, it's horrific to think you, you've just been hung up by your ribcage. Yeah. I mean, ah. Oh. Yeah, things digging into you and stuff like that. And one thing I got to point out though, there's no blood right now. Yeah, there's it's very no little. Yeah, very very little blood. You yeah. think like Texas Chainsaw Massacre? You're thinking it's going to be some gory blood mm-hmm. in your face, intestines coming out. And right now it's just it's all raw. It's nothing really mm-hmm. like, like I said, there's no fruit. You know, corn syrup with red dye number two in there. It's there's all a, there's a little much. paint on the wall like yeah. to show. And then you you see Leatherface while she's hanging on that hook, chainsawing pieces of Jerry off like his leg, and he cuts mm-hmm. off pieces of skin. And you're like. Oh, that's what they're, he's cutting him up like me. He's butchering him. Yeah, he's got the bandsaw and he's going to town yeah, on him. And I mean, that, and that is, again, the, the noise of all that and her screaming and everything, that is just so unnerving. And again, I keep going back to it, but this is all happening in the, like the daylight in the windows like we're sitting by right now. Just that is such a neat way to frame this. Well, I think the, the, the scariest part though is that it's natural for Leatherface to do this. Like it isn't mm-hmm. like, 
his first time killing something where you see he's nervous or making mistakes. It's very mechanical. It's very much, he's treating him, them like he would treat mm-hmm. cattle. It's just like, you know what, you're not anything. I'm going to grab you. You're going to fight me a little bit. I'm going to overpower you. I'm going to put you on the hook and you're just going to sit there. I'm not going to taunt you. I'm not going to sit there and, yeah. you know, be a Bond villain and give you a big monologue. It's just like, no, I'm going to go back to my job. I got, well, you're next, but I got to, mm-hmm. I got to finish this guy up right now and chop him up. Okay. Cause uh, we mm-hmm. need some more barbecue by the uh, side of the road. Yeah. And speaking of who's next, Jerry comes in looking for Pam and Kurt. And he, you know, he sees all this like mess, but he can't find anybody. And he hears the freezer knocking, and he flips it up. And and Pam, I guess she's still barely alive at that point, comes up out of the freezer. You know, like mm-hmm. like a spook house kind of thing. And it's a big, it's a big jump scare. And then of course Leatherface comes in and kills him real quick. So we've knocked out three characters inside of I don't know, ten minutes together. Yeah, and it's, I mean it's pretty efficient the way the pickoff goes in this movie. Yeah, and I think it's definitely good because really think about it. It's like if they would have got away and got back, they probably would have got the hell out of Dodge and everything. So, oh, yeah. yeah, you eliminate the, the three characters who are basically just fodder. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they're the cattle to the slaughter, you know, mm-hmm. quite literally. And uh, yeah, you get down to your you know your your final characters here, who you know the brother and sister with Franklin and Sally. Exactly. So we've talked about how annoying Franklin is. I don't think we need to rehash that. The whole world knows that. Like the internet, I think was invented to bitch about Star Wars and Franklin. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, so we know how annoying he is. But they're clearly getting worried. They're they're you know out in the dark, and Sally's like, "Well, I'm going this way," and he's got the flashlight going, "No, no, 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 go with me, go with me." And they go traipsing off through the dark, and like you just know something's coming. And this is where we yeah, actually and they got to stick together, Timmy. He's in a wheelchair. This is right. Like, like, there's not ramps. There's yeah. not asphalt out there. It's pretty rough. I'm kind of it's smart on Franklin that like no, I'm hanging under this flashlight. Just <laughs> it's my only way you're going to like stay with me. But out of out of the the you know sagebrush comes Leatherface, and this is where we do get some good blood effects when he's ripping Franklin apart in that wheelchair. I mean, it is horrific and, and you see the splattering. only chainsaw kill in the movie for a movie called the texas chainsaw massacre it is the only chainsaw kill in the movie and i mean it's it's pretty pretty gory even for this movie standards yeah i mean but with today's stand i mean with today's standards i mean you could probably put that pretty uncut on tv and oh everything. yeah yeah i mean they they slapped a pg on this when it first went through and toby hooper's like no please don't do that you will kill this movie if you do that and so uh, they... You told me this could be on Disney Plus? <laughs> well, uh, if there was such a thing in the day. But yeah, I mean, but it is the kill of the darkness. And that's when I realized something that I didn't... I don't know that I really paid that much attention to, but Toby Hooper had a big group of people, and he whittled them down to the one we're supposed to pay the most attention to, which is Sally. Yep. And I, I got to say, I think that's a smart move, because Marilyn Burns gives a really good performance in this. And the, the stuff she's going to go through for the next 30 minutes is pretty awful. And not only like as a character, but what she had to go through as an actor to live through that mm-hmm. is pretty pretty tremendous. But I mean, she jumps out of a couple of windows and stuff. She runs to the house, and that's where she finds this like couple that's been dissected. That's where you get the Ed Gein stuff, all the bone furniture and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And what I find is interesting is we, we, we'll back up for a sec, is when Leatherface kills Jerry, he runs over to the side and he's like... He's having this nervous titter, and we get that uh, uh, you know look at his face where he's, you know his teeth are all messed up, and he's he's kind of licking his lips, and you don't know what he's doing. And when he comes back later, he's wearing a different face. You know, he's got three faces in this movie, mm-hmm. and I I don't know I I had never paid that much attention to that until this time around, and I was like oh like there's a distinct difference, and I did a little reading online, and apparently like. 
there was one face that was the butcher's face and one was the, um, I don't know, the, the old lady's face and then one was the pretty woman's face is what he called it because <laughs> it had the makeup on it. And I don't know, it's just, it's just weird to see all that go down, right? Yeah, I like it. I think it's just he's trying to have different personalities for whatever he's doing right there. Like, you know, the butcher, you're putting on a different... I mean, we say it at work all the time. We wear different hats, you know, depending on your job. I guess him, he wears different faces and right. everything. But I also take it, you know, for me, I think he's also... I think it kind of shows there's some type of mental deficiency going on there, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. he's probably the one that, you know, he's the big guy, but he's also kind of, you know, to quote something about Mary looking for his baseball. So yeah. He's the simple one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So he's the mm-hmm. one that's... I could see him like, you know, him being able to put on different faces or whatever like that kind of demonstrates how he should be acting at that point. Right. And, I'll, I, you know, Sally does the right thing. She gets the hell out of Dodge. She runs back to that gas station. Mm-hmm. And that's when we find out that the proprietor of the gas station is in all of this. And I got to say, that is a hilarious scene when he beats the hell out of her with that broom. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah. <laughs> I got nothing else to say about Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he whips her to death with that thing nearly. And... Ties her up and brings, you know, he's bringing her back. He bunch, he runs into the hitchhiker, and that's when he starts getting scolded. He's like, "You're not supposed to leave your brother alone." So you find out the hitchhiker and Leatherface are brothers. Yeah. And so I don't know who this character is supposed to be to them. I don't think it's Dad, but Uncle maybe. I, I don't think know. Uncle. Yeah. yeah. I, to me, I took it. You know, they're all family. I mean, they're all right. whatever. I mean, they all probably worked at the meat packing plant together, and when everybody else moved out, they stayed back there and. Mm-hmm. You know, you got your grandpa, you got the one uncle, and then you got the two boys. Yeah, and, and we're going to meet grandpa in a bit because they tied Sally up at the table, bound and gagged. And that's when the hitchhiker you know, pulls her, her hood off and realizes, like, oh, I know you. Yeah, we we're, go a long way back. Mm-hmm. You know, you threw me out of the van. I tried to cut your brother in half. You know, <laughs> so I see mine did it. So, OK, you know, and and they bring grandpa out. And I got to tell you, I mean, that is it doesn't look like great makeup now, but it, it, I thought it was like, is that a corpse? And like, no, that's still supposed to be a living person under there. And the guy that played that was younger than any, everybody else on the set. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? He did a really good job of like barely able to move grandpa, but he's clearly involved. And they had this whole discussion about how, you know, the gas station attendant doesn't like killing people. He's like, I'll cook them, but I don't like killing people. But the hitchhiker and Leatherface are killers. And we found out that the hitchhiker was the, quote, killer at the meatpacking plant the same way that Grandpa was. And what that means is you, you had the hammer and you hit him in the head. Yeah. Uh, back in those days, it was a sledgehammer. It, it's a little more humane these days, I guess it you did not say. like the bolt gun method. Yeah, yeah. They didn't have that back then, apparently. And so... Um, Meat tastes better. Yeah. Tastes better. Yeah, but they, they set this up for Grandpa. And I got to tell you, I don't know if it's intended to be or not, Nick, but I found myself, I always find myself laughing hysterically when they bend her over that, that big tub and they put the hammer in Grandpa's hand, like, go get her, Grandpa, hit her. And like, he can barely, like, he keeps dropping the hammer. And it's, it's hilarious comedy in the middle of something where you realize someone is being tortured and is about to be murdered in front of her. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's just, yeah, he can barely even hold on to the hammers. <laughs> what is he, like 110 years old? At least, like right? Like, he's so decrepit. And he gets a couple of hits in, but he's just too weak, right? I, I got to bring that up to all the people mm-hmm. that sit there and say that meat's not healthy. I mean, this guy's obviously a meat eater and he's 110 years old. I mean, old, he's, so. made, he's made it. 
they're pretty clear. So, but you know, they've also been eating people. So I don't know that we want to adopt those those ways to go either. Because uh, at least not yet. So <laughs> we hadn't got that far down the road. But she gets free in the struggle and jumps out of the window again. Uh, and I'm like, man, I didn't. I had forgotten Sally jumps out of two windows in this movie. Uh, it's pretty intense. You know, and then heads for the road. And then we get the big showdown with Leatherface and the hitchhiker giving chase. And I. I, I can never remember what exactly the hitchhiker is doing you know, when he's chasing her, but now I realize like he's got that straight razor out and he's just slashing her across the back because her shirt's been torn open at this point. Mm-hmm. And he's, I'm like, what a horrible way to like die, like a death by literally a thousand paper cuts. And it's, yeah. I mean, he's, but you can tell like that's how sadistic he is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's completely off his rocker there and mm-hmm. stuff. So. But yeah, this is this little, you know, we're getting to, you know, where she's getting chased after by Leatherface and everything like that. And always just one thing that always gets me is like, you know, you, you got a lot of trucks going down this highway. You know, you got mm-hmm. a lot of semis, tractor trailers going down. And you happen to get the one guy who stops here and stuff. And I always kind of felt bad for him at the end. You know, I mean, he's just running away. At least he lived. I, I thought he died for some reason. And we've got to talk about, like, Leatherface chasing her yeah. with, the, with the chainsaw. That happened after the Franklin kill, too. And it goes on for a good while. Yeah. And Gunnar Hansen, like, would randomly just stop and start cutting trees and stuff. Because even in the boot lifts they gave him, he could outrun her. Like, no matter what he did. So he had to come up with just, he said, I just figured this guy would randomly get, like, you know, a squirrel. You know, he, just, he would just sort of just get distracted. distracted. Yeah. yeah, and he said, I had to come up with something to do, though, so she could get ahead of me, and then I'd go after her for a little bit. Because, you know, he's about a foot and a half taller than her anyway. So Longer stride. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, and she's, and to her credit, again, Marilyn Burns runs through a lot of prior patches and stuff. A lot of the blood on her clothes is hers. Mm. Like, she took the cuts for real, not the razor cuts, but the yeah. other stuff. And that... That shows some dedication to people that like we're making like a hundred bucks to do this movie. It's pretty amazing. Hundred bucks and all the barbecue you can eat. I guess so, and maybe it was real barbecue too. But, I, but she does make it to that trucker. I love how Leatherface like tries to saw through that door, and of course, you know, this is actual steel on a truck, so this it just zips it around, which is funny. Yeah. And I know enough about chainsaws to know like that chain is gone. Like it's gonna throw that chain so fast, but whatever. I mean, it's it's the it's the thing though that every haunted house I ever went to had some dude in the corner that would just crank a chainsaw out of nowhere, right? Because mm-hmm. when you hear that noise, you know it's coming. It's like we would associate it with the barrels popping up in the music in Jaws a couple of years later, and Darth Vader walks in a room. He's got a theme. The, the other face theme is that that uh, chainsaw. Yeah, yeah. cranking of the engine. Yeah, but I do like that trucker, man. He's a you know, big, burly guy. He grabs a, a wrench, and he sees a dude coming at him with a saw. He's like, nope, turns around and starts running the other way. <laughs> Smart man. Yep, and what I always say, too, it's like, you know, if you're getting chased by a bear or something, all you got to do is make sure you're faster than the person next to you, which and, Sally was. Right, right, and so she jumps on the, the you know, this truck, almost runs her over, and she jumps in the back of it, and the guys turn around looking behind him, and we, we should say, um, the guy throws the wrench and hits Leatherface in the head, and he drops and cuts his own leg. He didn't cut it off, but yeah. I, I'm, I know enough that, like, if you drop a chainsaw, that like heavy that's going through like I don't, I don't it's think, gonna it's gonna catch and hold yeah I was like I don't think that's just I mean I know it's just like a plate that it was spinning off of but I'm like I don't think that's gonna work but you know you gotta have some reason for him to yeah, be your slow muscle's got a lot of fiber and stuff in there that I could probably catch and do that's, it pretty good yeah that's not I mean that is not meant to rip through that it will but you gotta put force behind it even mm-hmm. with a chainsaw if you just drop it on a log it's not gonna do anything you gotta like use your arms for it you know that and 
so he gets up to chase, and then we get the, the big final scene where he's just swinging that chainsaw around. Apparently that was supposed to be longer, and they cut it down a little bit just for whatever reason. And it's a famous notion of the, the Leatherface chainsaw dance you know, that, he, that he does. And it, I, I look at this, and you're, you're laughing, and I'm realizing, like, man, is this movie supposed to be funny? Because I am laughing at it the whole time. I'm laughing, too, at a lot of stuff. Like, even a lot of stuff that I heard about the movie, you know, how it was this and that. I'm like... I don't know. I think, you know, maybe it wasn't in play like it back in the day, but it kind of plays like a comedy nowadays with so many stuff. I mean, the special effects, obviously. I know they had a cheap budget and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, just the way it kind of unfolds and then her leaving and laughing and him singing there, you know, kind of swinging around a chainsaw and doing a little jig and stuff. I mean, it, it is it is kind of comical. Well, I mean, it's not only laughing. Like, she's, she's uh, you know, elated to be getting away. She's freaked out of her mind. And she is kind of laughing, sort of like, ha, ha got away from you and I never took it that way until you just said that but that is very much the way that, that she's playing it that's mm-hmm. pretty smart I mean it it, uh, it moves moves you forward and it leaves you with this open ended piece you know because like you said the Larroquette thing sets it up that oh you know these this is all real this has all happened and we'll we'll get a pickup on that in the uh, second movie as we get into that but mm-hmm. you know for this one it, it leaves us on a big cliffhanger and there was no intention to ever do another thing it was just that's what you did in this time yeah you're supposed to leave the audience going ooh maybe next time you go through Texas you may run into the Sawyer family or whatever so right, it's yeah. like yeah you know you're gonna like Halloween it's like you're gonna leave the movie theater and ooh he could be out there so yep. yeah it's usually mm-hmm. those weren't Sequels really weren't a thing back then. It was most likely just kind of like leave it open-ended so we can scare the audience when they're leaving again one time. Yeah, no, and it's, it's a perfect popcorn way to do it for this grindhouse little flick. So we're at, we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to get final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings, Nick. So what are yours for the 1974 version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? It's fine. I mean, I get it. Some people are, you know, this is a pantheon of great horror movies and everything like that that some people sit there and claim. But for me, you know, I didn't really find anything about it horrific. And I guess you could sit there and say, like, yeah, you know, because you're so used to everything else that borrowed from it and took it to the next level. And that's fair, but I still got to look at it from my own subjective opinion. So, you know, for me, it's it's a medium popcorn. It's a movie, I think, yeah, you know, go check it out. It's usually going to be on a streaming service or something, so it's not going to be that hard to find. But it's a very raw movie, so that's one thing you got to take into it. It's, you know, there's no music, really. There's no soundtrack. Some of the acting, Franklin, is pretty crude. <laughs> you know, it's not gory. It's not like you're going to sit there and watch, like, one of these, like, Eli Roth monstrosities nowadays or whatever. So it's fine, you know. It's not bad, and I don't think it's great. I think it's just, it's it's fine. So medium popcorn. I, I'll say this. If you're a fan of horror, I, I can't imagine that you haven't seen this or whatever, but if for some reason you're new to it and you're, Started to wonder, like, should I should I bother to go back? There's always a dangerous thing about going back, you know, for particularly a movie that's this old, is because it's going to feel dated no matter what it does. And there's parts of this that are absolutely just you realize like they're just filling time, you know, because they don't have anything else to do. They're barely 74 minutes of this movie, and they're trying to just get it to where it can be theatrically released. Mm-hmm. But even in those things, I think there's stuff to pick up on. And particularly, like, I'll go back again to, to Daniel Pearl's cinematography and Toby Hooper's direction and score. I think there's so much stuff that you realize, like, there's probably 50 movies that 
copied this after it was done. And for that, I, I give it a lot of credit. As a story, I also give it credit for being very simple and not over-explaining everything and just leaving us where it is. And it more or less works. And the, again, the best thing is it's incredibly short. It doesn't ask a lot of you. It's, you know, it's not going to ask you to remember a whole lot of people or anything. It's just going to be there, and then there it is. And so for that, I give it a large popcorn. I don't think it's you know, one of these movies that... It's, it's one of my favorites or anything like that, but I understand why it stood the test of time and why it's such a rich tapestry for studios to go back to because this is the one time where they kind of subtly try to do the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That will be out the window going forward because even though some of the original people will get involved again, the rest of these are going to be pretty gory uh, going mm-hmm. forward. It's amazing how simple a lot of these first movies are. It's just basic premise, mm-hmm. you know, kind of meat and potato films, uh, film um, making. So it's always interesting to see where these sequel take, sequels take us. Yeah, absolutely. Always fun to talk about it here. Folks, thanks for listening to the show. You can follow the show on social media at FilmStripPod, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. There you'll find announcements about upcoming shows. You can connect with the host that way. Go to FilmStripPodcast.com and you'll find a link to our distribution sites. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, all those places. If you can, leave us a five-star review and share the show on your social media as it helps other people find it. We've got a huge archive of 300 plus episodes, so something in there for everyone. We've name-dropped a bunch of horror movies here tonight that we've reviewed uh, together and I've reviewed with other folks. And then we've got a ton of other things that that Ron, Lindsay, and Uh, the rest of the crew have have been involved with through the year. So check us out. We appreciate this support. Until next time, for Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.